The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, Tower View. Good morning, one and all who are watching this morning. I am back in Kansas City. I am back at home. I'm back at Tower View. I am at church. So everything is hunky-dory. In the last week, from last Friday to this most recent Friday, I drove or was in the car for 2,400 miles I was in five different states, um, so did some serious traveling, but I, I did my army duty for the month. I moved my son to another state where he starts the next chapter of his life as a college graduate and a career person, so things have happening, things have changed. So good morning, I'm Associate Pastor Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church. Welcome. This is your Sunday School lesson for June 20th, also known as Father's Day. Um, so in, there were two people up on the space station taking a spacewalk as we speak. So they have to work today. They have to run around outside and try to install some new solar panels for their house um, up there. So that's them. This is us, Tower View Baptist Church. Uh, let's see here. Where? Who? Who? who what else? Oh, wait, where, who? Who am I with? Why am I here? I'm with Tower View Baptist Church. You can check out our website at towerviewkc.com. There's our phone number. I'll talk about more of that that later. And this, as I said, this is your Sunday school lesson. Let's see here. What kind of comments do we have today? Do we have any good comments? Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Darren. Good morning, Linda. 
Um, thank you. Happy Father's Day to all of you, too, all your fathers, father figures, whether you're five, you know, remember to tell your father Happy Father's Day. I have to remember to do that. Um, that's not good. Father's Day, Mother's Day, I, I tend to forget things like that. Um, so thank you for watching and listening. All those others who are on, who will come on, who will pop on in here in a little bit, Thank you. So we are continuing our study of the book of Job. And it's it's a cursory glance. It's, it's a skimming of the book. But I encourage you to go back and read all the verses I'm skipping. I'm, I'm going to continue on skipping like we did last week, um, going through each conversation, each, each, dial, each uh, uh, person speaking, and give a little overview of what they're talking about. And the, the lesson plan camps out on one on just one set of verses and we're going to hit those verses today but that's just going to be part of the bigger whole so if your sunday school book it's lesson three and the book says that we're going to be in chapter 19 and we are going to be in chapter 19 but for today we are going to cover um, more than that we're going to go from job 15 to 21 so last week we covered what's called the first series of, of dialogues, first series of, of speeches where everybody spoke. And so Job's three friends each took turns speaking, and Job replied to each friend one at a time. So Job began the speaking, and then each of his three friends spoke, and then after each friend spoke, Job spoke some more. And we're going to continue that, where each of Job's three friends are going to, are going to say something, and Job replies to each and every one of them. And so this is the, the second series of speeches that we're going to look through. So actually this series is shorter than the first series. Mostly because, well, two reasons. One, um, Job started off the series, so he had one extra speech in the first series. And in this one, each of the three friends actually, as it goes, their, their dialogue, their speeches keep getting shorter because they don't have anything new to say. They, they just keep repeating themselves. Um, Job doesn't as much, but his speeches get a little bit shorter too. So we are in Job chapter 15 today, and um, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you provide. Help us as we continue to serve you. Help us as we study your word this morning, that you will open our hearts and our minds, that we can grow closer to you, that we can be a godly brother or sister in Christ coming alongside somebody else, Lord. Help us to be an example of what to say and what not to say. You are the mighty God, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, good morning. Let's see. Is that before I go on? Good morning, Shirley, Don. Let's see. Anybody else on there? Okay, that's all I see at the moment. And um, as we continue, Job 15. So, this begins the second series of speeches in Eliphaz. And, the, and the, the three friends speak in the same order. So Eliphaz is going to give his second speech to Job that he gives in chapter 15. And Eliphaz says this, Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Does a wise man answer with empty counsel or fill himself with a hot east wind? 
Should he argue with useless talk or with words that serve no good purpose, but you, but you even undermine the fear of God and hinder meditation before him? So Eliphaz and his friends are trying to help Job see that Job is sinful and Job is prideful, and they're just calling him out on his sin. They're just being good friends by calling him out. The problem is they're calling him out out of ignorance. So since Job isn't listening to him, Job isn't confessing any hidden sin, they just get more belligerent every time they speak. And so they're saying that Job is just a hot wind talking, a hot east wind. Well, we're, we're, I'm in Kansas City, and if the wind's coming from the east, it's not hot. The hot wind is coming either from the west or from the south. That's where the hot winds come from here, but they're in a different part of the world. And in the Middle East, the hot winds come from the east because they're coming across the Arabian Peninsula. They're coming across the desert, which is why we our west winds and our south winds are hot because they're coming from the, the, the plains of Kansas or the from o- Texas and Oklahoma where it's hot and dry. So that's why he's saying the hot east wind. And he's talking with Job's useless talk. And he's just calling Job out. It says in verse 4, But you even undermine the fear of God and hinder meditation before him. Which is ironic because that is exactly what Job is doing. And Eliphaz is the one that's hindering God. Eliphaz is hindering God. Down in verse 7, continuing in chapter 15. Were you the first human ever born, or were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on the counsel of God, or have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't? What do you understand that is not clear to us? What irony. So one, you know, he's thinking that Job, by implying that Job is not that old, that he's not the first human ever born. He's not Adam. Um, that Job doesn't know. That Job, he says, did Job listen in on God's counsel? Well, at this point, I don't think Job has. But I, I, I don't know who wrote this, but I, I have a feeling that maybe Job did. I can't prove that. And that God finally revealed his counsel to Job. Then in chapters 1 and 2. And that God does come and speak to Job later on in this book, face to face. In, in verse 9, what do you know that we don't? What do you understand that is not clear to us? And that's just that's all what Job is trying to explain to them. That he does understand the things of God better than they do. And Eliphaz is the one that's not listening. And that's backed up by God at the end of the book. Spoilers. When Eliphaz and the others are told that they hindered God and they sinned and they need to go back to Job and so Job can pray for him. And so in, 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 and they're trying to correct Job because obviously Job is wrong. They just show their ignorance. Over and over again. Down in verse 20. A wicked person rise in pain all his days, though the number of years 
reserved for the ruthless. And as you read down through this chapter, their point is that God punishes the wicked immediately, and the wicked have no good things. And sometimes that does happen. But we've seen this world. Think about politicians and, and, and some businessmen. You know, they, they get by on, on treating their employees badly or treating the customers badly, but they make money. Politicians the same way. It's all about themselves. And they, they seem to survive their whole life without any punishment, most of them. Not all politicians are evil. Just because you're a politician doesn't mean you're automatically evil or a businessman and automatically make you evil. But we know that many are. And so, Eliphaz's speech, as you read this whole chapter, is about that God punishes evil now. And the evil people, never, nothing good ever happens. And he sums it up in, in chapter 15, verses 34 and 35. Eliphaz sums up his speech this way. For the company of the godless will have no children, and fire will consume the tents of those who offer bribes. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb prepares deception. What another slap in the face of Job. The company of the godless have no children. Well, at this moment, Job has no children. So he must be, he must be godless. How, did, how, how does Job respond to that? In chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, Job says this, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters. He didn't say they were miserable advisors. He said they were miserable comforters. In the end, is there no end to your empty words? What provokes you that you continue testifying? If you... If you were in my place, I could also talk like you. I could string words together against you and shake my head at you. Instead, I would encourage you with my mouth, and the consolation from my lips would bring relief. Job says, if you were a good comforter, you, you would bring words of peace that would bring comfort and consolation. They brought none of it. They were lambasting Job in the name of, of truth and honesty. Truth and honesty are important, but so is comfort and consolation, especially when we don't know why. And he's saying, You're, you, you guys are awful at this. Job continues in, chapter, in verse 6. So in chapter 16 and verse 6, he continues this. If I speak... My suffering is not relieved. And if I hold back, does any of it leave me? So Job is saying, it doesn't matter if I speak or don't speak. I'm going to suffer. Surely he has now exhausted me. He who? God. So in verses 1 through 5, Job was addressing Eliphaz. But now he's talking about God. Verse 7, surely he has, he has now exhausted me. You have, you, so now he goes from he, third person, to you, second person. So now he's talking directly to God. You have devastated my entire family. 
You have shriveled me up. It had... It has become a witness. My frailty rises up against me and testifies to my face. His anger tears at me. He harasses me. He gnashes his teeth at me. Who says he? He's talking about God again, but he's addressing God. My enemy pierces me with his eyes. So he's, he goes from addressing his friends, and then he ignores his friends and goes talk to talking about God. First, he he talks about God, and he talks to God about what's happened to him. And he realizes all his talking doesn't matter. It doesn't relieve his suffering. But he doesn't stop either. He continues to pour out his heart, even though he realizes, you know, he calls it God's anger. But we know from chapter 1 and 2, God is not angry with Job, but Job doesn't know that. He hasn't seen the counsel of God. In verse 10, he continues, They open their mouths against me and strike my cheeks with contempt. Who's they? My enemies. At the end of verse 9, My enemy pierces me with his eyes and strikes my cheek with contempt. They join themselves together against me. God hands me over to the unjust, and he throws me to the wicked. Who's that? Well, I, well part of that is the, the, the Chaldeans and the Sabians who attacked and, and stole his livestock. They did it. But I, I imagine Job is when he's also talking about his three friends who are sitting there slapping him in the face all the time. And others who have ignored him and now refuse to talk to him because he's no longer a person of power. Verse, verse 11, God hands me over to the unjust. He throws me to the wicked. Verse 12, I was at ease, but he shattered me. He seized me by the scruff of, of the neck and smashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. And he continues on talking about how God has, has attacked him and, and caused him pain and suffering. And he's not wrong. God allowed it. And even as God says that Satan, you know, in, you know um, caused God to, to lash out at Job. In verse 18, he talks to the earth. Earth, do not cover my blood, my cry for help. No resting place. So he's talking to the very earth. Not that he's praying to him. He's not thinking that earth is a god. This is poetic language. He's talking to, yeah, he's through God, he's talking to nature. You know, he's, he's crying for relief. Do not cover my blood. You know, he's like, don't let my cries be for nothing. Let others hear my cries to God. Don't let God not hear my cries. And Job's speech continues into chapter 17. In chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, it says, Surely mockers surround me, and my eyes must gaze at their rebellion. Accept my pledge. Put up security for me. Who else will be my sponsor? He continues talking to God. Surely mockers surrounding my eyes must gaze at their rebellion. That reminds me of Psalm 22 when David is complaining about people surrounding him. Yet Psalm 22 is also about Christ and Christ on the cross. When the mockers surrounded him. Obviously Job is far before any of those things as far as we know. 
but we see a theme that continues through Scripture. The godly will be mocked. When the godly suffer, others will mock them. That's not new. When godly people suffer, the ungodly people will mock at them and complain and, and, and rejoice that godly people are suffering. That's not new. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. Don't be, you know, the, 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 the last week the Southern Baptist Convention had their annual convention. This year it was in Nashville, Tennessee. And the only time the, the news pays any attention to the Southern Baptist Church is during the convention, especially when it, they deem it contentious. And by some accounts, there were some major decisions that had to be made, and, not ever, and votes were not unanimous, so therefore it was contentious. Even though some, most of the stuff I've read from people who were there said it wasn't contentious. But that's the way the news portrays it. They like to rejoice in Christianity suffering. When denominations split, other denominations are looking at splitting because of theology. And so it's not just the Southern Baptist Convention, it's other, de- other denominations too are having similar problems. The Catholic Church is having problems. They don't all agree. The Methodist Church has been having problems for years. And so it's not just one, but they rejoice in godly people suffering. It's not new. Job points it out. So chapter 16 and 17 are Job's answer to Eliphaz here. Read all those. Chapter Going on to chapter 18. Beldad speaks. In verses 1 through 3, Beldad says this. Beldad the Shuite replied, How long until you stop talking? Can some show some sense and then we can talk? Why are we regarded as, sap, as cattle and as stupid in your sight? Well, I, I don't think he's wrong in Job's attitude towards his friends at the moment. But Job is the one talking sense, and Bildad and Eliphaz and Zophar are not. But yet they refuse to see that. In verse 5, he says, we're in chapter 18, verse 5, he says, Yes, the light of the wicked is distinguished, and the flame of his fire does not glow. Once again, Bildad's speech is here is all about, you read through there, all about how sinful people will suffer immediately. And he just goes example after example, all the way down through here. Verses 12 to 15, he says, His strength is depleted. That's the, the, the evil person. His strength is depleted. I'm sorry. Yeah, his strength is depleted. Disaster lies ready for him to stumble. Parts of his skin are eaten away. Death, death's firstborn consumes his limbs. He is ripped from the security of his tent and, he, and, is marched, and marched away to the king of terrors. Nothing he owns remains in his tent. Burning sulfur is scattered over his home. Once again, he's alluding to what's happened to Job. He says, see, this is what happens to evil people. It's happened to you. You know, why don't you repent? Verse 19, he has, and he, that's the evil person. He has no children or descendants among his people, no survivor where he used to live. So he's just lambasting against Job again. Job's evil because all this stuff has happened to him. 
And then he ends in verse 21. Indeed, such is the dwelling of the unjust man. And this is the place of the one who does not know God. And so he's saying, Job, this is you, so you must not know God. You must be an unjust man. Beldad is speaking out of his ignorance. He's speaking, well, you, you, you know the euphemisms. How does Job respond to that? Chapter 19. Chapter 19 is a section of Scripture that is just kind of astonishing that comes from Job. Because, one, we think about how old that we think Job is. He's at least at the time, probably at least at the time of Abraham in that time period, give or take a few hundred years. Theoretically, I mean, there's nothing that said in here that couldn't have been from before the time of Noah. It could have been before Noah, but probably after. Um, But here he is speaking. And as we go through here, a lot of these themes are taken up later in Scripture through the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament. Why? Because God is not changed from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. God is not changed. God was not one way in the Old Testament and a different way in the New Testament. Not, he hasn't changed. So in verses one in Job chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, Job answered, How long will you torment me and crush me with words? You have humiliated me ten times now. And mistreat me without shame. Even if it was true that I have sinned, my mistake concerns only me. If you really want to appear superior to me would and would use my disgrace as evidence against me, then understand that it is God who has wronged me and caught me in his net. So Job saying, it's not your job to punish me. It's between me and God. And God, Job continues in verses, um, where am I at here? Uh, you know, 7 through 12, Job just continues his complaints to God. And he talks to God. He has blocked me. He has stripped me. He tears me. He's anger. His troops advance. And so he just goes on with more word pictures about his suffering. And then in verse 13, so Job chapter 9, verse 13. He has, he has removed my brothers from me. My acquaintance have abandoned me. So everybody, his family, his friends, they're gone. 14, my relatives stopped coming and my close friends have forgotten me. So it's, it's poetic language. He, he's, he's repeating himself with different words. 15, my house guests and female ser- servants regard me as a stranger. That's kind of a slap at them that they regard him as a stranger, not as a friend. But even his female servants, they don't want anything to do with him. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call for my servant, but he does not answer. Even if I beg with my own mouth. So Job's own servants don't want to go anywhere near him. I mean, he's just talked about what he, the disease he has and what it looks like, so it looks awful. So it would be you know, probably holding back your vomit response is just to look at him. Probably doesn't smell real good either. And why are they still servants? I mean, Job doesn't have any money left. 
Verse 17. My, my breath is offensive to my wife. My own family finds me repulsive. So even his wife doesn't want to be around him. She doesn't even want to kiss him. Then he talks about people in the city. Even young boys scorn me when I stand up. They mock. All my best friends despise me. Hint, Eliphaz, Beldad, Zophar. They despise him. And those I, and those I love have turned against me. My skin and my flesh cling to my bones. I escape with only the skin of my teeth. Didn't know your teeth had any skin, but we still use this phrase today. This is where it comes from, from the skin of my teeth, from Job, from millennia before. Verse 21, have mercy on me, my friends, have mercy, for God's hands has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? He's pleading for mercy from God and from his friends. Verse 23, I wish that my words were written down and that they were recorded on a scroll or were inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. What a prayer. And God answered it. It was written down. We're reading it now thousands of years later. If Job lived at the time of Abraham, or maybe even before Abraham, that was around 2000 BC. That was like 4,000 years ago, roughly. And we are reading it today in the year 2021. God answered this prayer of Job in a way Job would never think of. They are inscribed in stone forever. These are are scriptures, the words of God. They, They are forever. Verse 25, But I know this, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the dust. Even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. He knows that, that my Redeemer lives. If this is indeed the oldest, by, by chronology, the oldest scriptures written down, obviously Genesis 1 is older in time, you know, chronologically, but it was written down by Moses. Think about this. Job is talking about a Redeemer before Moses wrote the Torah. Genesis to Deuteronomy, where Moses talks about a Redeemer coming, one that was better than Moses. And before all the prophets, Job is talking about a Redeemer. Technically, Redeemer is a legal word. You know, somebody who comes along and pays your debts for you, gets you out of debtor's prison. Freeze, pays your debt so you're no longer a slave to your debtor. That's a redeemer. We see a redeemer in the book of Ruth. Boaz is Ruth and Naomi's redeemer and reclaim the land that they lost when they left because of a drought. Boaz is the redeemer. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a godly redeemer, which is ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And here it is in the book of Job. 
God, the Redeemer, will stand on the dust. So that means he'll be physical. People will see him. Jesus stood on the dust. Verse 26, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. What does he know? Beldad asks, what do you know that we don't? Here's his answer. I know that my Redeemer lives. That's what Job knows that Beldad doesn't. And he knows that God will be here. How does Job know this? I don't know. But he did. It's a revelation that God revealed to him. Job says, I will see him myself. And Job did. We know that later in this book, Job talks to God. Job and God have a discussion. It's about it's about one-sided on God's side, but it, Job and God still have a discussion. My heart long in verse the end of verse twenty seven. In verse twenty seven, I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. Do you long to see your risen Savior? This is not about being a death wish. This is about longing to be with your Redeemer and see him in person. That's what Job wants in his suffering. That's what he's desiring, is to see God, his Redeemer. This is why Job is declared righteous. It's not about his things. It's not about even his family. It's about his Redeemer, God. Verse 28, if you say, how, how will we pursue him since the root of the problem lies with him? Then be afraid of the sword because wrath be, brings punishment by the sword so that you may know that there is a judgment. Job understands that there is judgment. There is punishment for sin, but it doesn't always happen in the time frame that we think it does. It doesn't always happen in the methodologies that we think it is, that Beldad and, and Eliphaz and Zophar seem to think that way it's going to happen. Job knows that it happens, but it doesn't happen in the way that we think it should. Beldad and Eliphaz and Zophar don't know what they're talking about. Those people, those three men think they're godly people. They think they have all the answers. But all they're using is human wisdom, and they lack compassion. I mean, they think they're godly. They, you know, they go to church, and, and however they went to church at that time, they thought they worshiped God. They go to church. They're deacons in the church. They're Sunday school teachers. So they know all kinds of things about God. So let me tell you about God. And they have all the answers because they have studied scriptures. And so they know all the answers. But they lack compassion and they lack a, an understanding of who God is and his mercy and his grace. Godly people... Appealing to God out of ignorance leads to compassion. 
Godly people don't always claim to have all the answers. And that's okay, because God doesn't give us all the answers in this life. We don't have to have all the answers. But you appeal to God out of your ignorance of, of all the, knowing all the answers. And you have compassion for others. You give compassion to others. Appealing to God. It's interesting, these guys that keep talking, they keep talking about God, but you don't get a sense that they know who God is. They don't offer prayers to Job from to God. They just keep spouting off their supposed knowledge, trying to claiming to help Job, but they keep failing because they have no compassion. And they don't really know who God is. So as you read these, these speeches of Zophar and Beldad and Eliphaz, realize that they are speak they are so-called godly people who are speaking out of their ignorance and out of a lack of understanding of God. Not saying that they weren't God followers, but they lacked understanding. They also lacked compassion. Job understood who God was and is and will be because he understands that there is a redeemer out there and he pleads to that redeemer to help him now he may plead wrongly at times but he still pleads to that redeemer he goes to god with his problems unlike his wife who said why don't you just curse god Job still blamed God, if you want to call it that, for his problems. He, as we read over and over again, he says, God, you're doing this to me. But, as he, but he takes it to God, and he says, God, why are you doing this to me? God, help me. But his three friends still don't get it. Zophar in chapter 20. Trying to wrap up here. Zophar in chapter 20 says this, this is why my unsettling thoughts compel me to answer, because I am upset. I have heard a rebuke that insults me, and my understanding makes me reply. Don't you know that ever since antiquity, that the time of humans was placed on earth, the joy of the wicked has been brief, and the happiness of the godless has lasted only a moment? And he goes on and on, giving examples how the wicked are always short-lived. He in, in, ends in chapter in, in, in chapter twenty and twenty and twenty seven and twenty nine. The heavens will expose his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. The possessions of his house will be removed, flowing away on the day of God's anger. Job also spoke of God's anger towards him. This is the wicked person's lot from God, and the inheritance of God ordained for him. So once again, since you lost everything, God has punished you in his anger. And in chapter Chapter 21 ends this series of speeches with Job's words. In chapter 21, verse 1, Then Job answered, Pay close attention to my words. Let it be the consolation you offer. Bear with me while I speak. Then after I have spoken, you may continue mocking. So he's just saying, yeah, I'm going to speak, but you're going to keep mocking me. Verse 4, As for me, is my complaint against the human being? Then why shouldn't I be impatient? 
Look at me and shudder. Put your hand over your mouth. When I think about it, I am terrified and my body trembles in horror. Why do the wicked continue to live, growing old and becoming powerful? Their children are established while they are still alive and their descendants before their eyes. Their homes are secure and free from fear, so that no rod from God strikes them. Job says, no, it doesn't always, the wicked aren't always punished immediately. They live securely. They live well. They have families. They have homes that are safe. And he goes on illustrating that. In verse 22, Job shows he understands who God is. Can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges the exalted ones? One person dies in excellent health, completely secure and at ease. His body is well fed and his bones are full of marrow. Yet another person dies with a bitter soul, having never tasted prosperity. But they both lie in the dust and the worms cover them. Job saying it doesn't matter how you, what your wealth is when you, when you die. You know, it's one person has excellent health, and, and, and they're secure, they're at ease. They're, they're fat, you know. It says they're, they're, they're well-fed, their bones are full of marrow. That, that means they're fat. Um, and another person dies bitterly in suffering, poor, wretched, but yet they both die, and they're both buried in the same earth. We see this, we're going to see this theme again in the book of Ecclesiastes. The rich and the poor, they all die. They all end the same. Sam Walton is just as dead today with all his wealth that he, he accumulated, that he grew. Yeah, I'm not saying he's an evil man, but he, he was a wealthy man by the end. Created in a, 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 a um, corporate empire. But he is just as dead as that little old lady that worked as a greeter and then passed away, working minimum wage, handing out carts at the front of the store. They both get buried in the same earth. Job understands this. And he ends in verse 34, So how can you offer me such futile comfort? Your answers are deceptive. And so he's letting his friends know that they are not following God. So they're both trying to go back and forth saying, you're not following God. His friends say, you're not following God because you lost everything, so you must be a sinner and unjust. You need to repent. And Job rightly understands who God is and says, you're not following God. You're not even trying to comfort me. And so but Job understands that he has a redeemer. His three friends did not understand that. They did not understand the Redeemer. They did not understand um, any of that. So let's pray. Lord God, you're a mighty and a precious Lord. Help us to be your servants in all that we do. Help us to love and serve you. Help us to seek you out in the good times and in the bad. And if those around us are suffering, Lord, help us to be a godly comforter to them. Teach us how to show mercy and grace to those who are suffering, whether it's through sin or not through sin. Ultimately, it's all through sin because we're in a sinful world. 
Natural disasters hit everybody, not just godly, not just ungodly. Sickness and pain hit all of us, Lord, in the church and outside the church, the godly, the ungodly. Help us to use those things to grow, draw closer to you ourselves. Help us to use those things to draw others to you. Help us to show compassion for those who are suffering. And not be like these three so-called friends of Job. Help us to turn to you, our Redeemer, in our suffering. We pray this in Jesus Christ's holy name his precious name, his compassionate name, his merciful name, and yet his mighty name. Amen. So once again, I'm Associate Pastor Nelson Nisley, Tower View Baptist Church. And let me see, let me put that up there. So you can, you can find out more about us. You can go to our website, towerviewkc.com. You can obviously our Facebook page. You can call us at 816-368-1330. You can call that number. You can text that number. Send us some messages. What are your questions? What are your, how has God shown you in suffering and, and such? And, um, and, and all those things. So thank you for watching and listening today. Um, let's see, is anybody else out there? Linda, good morning. Thank you for watching. Judy, all, all those who have commented, I thank you for all that you, you, you guys are watching and listening. Have a great and blessed day. Church today at 1030 inside. Um, I pray for the transmitter that everything will work there and, and such. We will talk to you later. God bless and have a wonderful day.